Good morning and greetings to each one of you this morning in Jesus' name. The title of the message is The Reality of Believing. Do you know what a hologram is? Anyone know what a hologram is? Can somebody tell me what a hologram is? I don't put you on the spot, but if you know. How many of you all do not know what a hologram is? Okay. Okay. James, you want to venture? Very, very close. Sometimes you can, actually you can buy one of these things. Uh, they also come in small, like a small thing that you can actually set on your cabinet and it, it appears as it's there. And a, a hologram is a three-dimensional image that is usually formed by light beams or reflected light. Does that make sense? Okay. And so if you go to the treasury, you can get a hologram, I believe I saw one there, of a penny inside a little encapsulated globe or dome. And it appears as if there is a penny inside of there. But it's basically a reflection of light from different areas that forms a hologram. So actually, a hologram is something that does not exist. Does that make sense? It does not exist. It appears as if it is real, but it does not exist. Okay. Now, we say we believe in God... But what is believing? We say we have faith in God, but what is faith? We say we have, that we trust God, but what is trust? Is it a hologram? We say we have peace with God, but what is peace? The word believe means to accept something as true. What's that? A softball. How do you know that's a softball? Say it again. You've been taught that this is a softball. Okay? What if I told you that this is not a ball, but it's a sphere? Would you agree with that? How many of y'all would agree with that? It's a sphere. Well... 
Let me tell you what the definition of a sphere is. And then you tell me if this is a sphere. A sphere is a round, solid figure with every point on the surface equidistant from its center. So is this a sphere? No, why? It's got threads, and so the threads are just a little bit further than an equidistance. Okay, does that make sense? However, if this thing were a perfect sphere, it would be a ball. But a ball can be a sphere if it were made perfectly. But there are very few balls that are perfect spheres. But we learn what we're taught. And so I don't know where the word ball came from, but someone came up with that name for this. And we believe it. And we use that term. But how about if you, were, if you grew up saying that this was a sphere? Let's go play soft sphere. Let's go play basket sphere. Let's go play base sphere. I want you to think about that. We believe what we're taught. And yet this is so very close to a sphere that they could almost be used interchangeably. We learn what we're taught. A hologram is something that appears true, but it doesn't exist. We can see it, but it's actually not there. It's just light, reflected, I'm sorry, reflected, refracted. So, how many of you all have seen God? How many of you all have seen God? You know, we walk into homes sometimes and we see a picture on the wall. What's that picture of? Picture of Jesus, right? We see, sometimes see those pictures. And we have this histor- history that this is apparently what Jesus looked like. But have you ever seen him? How can we believe? How can we accept as true God, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit? That's something I think we need to think about. But you know, doubt is the opposite of believing. And when I think of doubt, I think about Eve in the Garden of Eden. When the serpent appeared unto her, he caused her to question a little bit. And I want to read there just briefly in that account. It says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. This is Genesis 3. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of the tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God, said, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. 
And the serpent caused doubt here. He said, Ye shall not die. Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day that ye eat thereof, your eyes will be opened and you're going to see the sphere. You're going to see. And ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw, she saw that tree before. She had been there. She had been instructed. And she knew that God had told them, you can have all of these except for this one. She knew that it existed. And when the woman saw the tree was good for food, it was pleasant to the eye, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also to her husband with her, and he did eat. And we know the story. The fall. Sin entered in. Satan caused doubt in the mind. And yet, think about this. Adam and Eve saw God. They walked with Him. They were in His very presence. It wasn't just something that they imagined, something they were told, but they experienced Him. They were there with Him. They were instructed of Him. And yet they doubted. And what happens when they doubted? They turned away. They disobeyed. It wasn't a hologram. It wasn't something that didn't exist. It was the truth. I also think of the New Testament in John 20. And we think about Thomas. Doubting Thomas. How many of you all know of Doubting Thomas? All of us know of Doubting Thomas. Would that nickname fit me? John 20, verse 24. But Thomas... One of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. It wasn't a hologram. They actually saw him. They felt him. They touched him. They ate with him. But Thomas wasn't there. But he said unto them, Except I shall see his hands. See in his hands the prints of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. Thomas was there, wasn't there. And yet those other disciples that were eyewitnesses that Thomas had communed with and visited with and worshipped with in times past, he said, I won't believe it. Even though all of you all say I have seen, we have seen Jesus. I won't believe it until I actually put my finger there and thrust in my hand. But when Jesus appeared, he said, my Lord and my God. All doubt was removed. It was like opening up the hologram and actually finding the real penny. It was actually seeing and believing And yet for us today, we don't see the physical being of of Jesus. We can't put our fingers in the print of His hand where the nails went in. We can't thrust our hand into His side 
where that spear went in, whether it was the right or the left. But there are people that actually did see Christ. And they were eyewitnesses, and they share it through God's word about these things. And they believed. And have believed for centuries. And that's why we're here today, because that faith that has been practiced and believed since Jesus came and walked this earth and died and was laid in the tomb and rose again that Sunday morning and appeared unto the disciples and Thomas and the others that walked this earth until he ascended up to the Father, saw his being and believed. But it also says, blessed are those that don't see and yet believe. In Romans 4, it talks about Abraham believing God. It says, For what, the scripture, what saith the Scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. And so I go back to the question. Do you believe God? Do you believe in God? Do you believe that God created Do you believe that Jesus is? Well, whether you believe it or not, there is a reality of believing. If we truly believe God, it's going to translate into faith. Faith means that we have a complete confidence or trust in someone or something. I saw this in practice the other day. Logan was in the swimming pool. And Leah was standing on the edge. And Logan backed up from the edge just a little bit. And he said, jump. And she hesitated for just a second, and then she jumped. She had complete confidence that he was going to catch her. She had faith and she jumped and he caught her. Do we have that same complete confidence in God the Father that we have written through, through his word that he has shared with us of all of salvation? Complete confidence. Do we have faith? Do we believe? Hebrews 11.1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. It's not a hologram. It's not just seeing this and, and believing it because we've been taught it. But it is a literal fact. And you may think that this is a hologram, but if I throw this back there towards you, if you believe it's a hologram, you won't react. And you'll just let it hit you. Because it doesn't exist. But as this ball, in its solid form, exists, it's a pale comparison to the true reality of believing of God 
of all of the universe that he has created. Faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We didn't see the creation. We didn't see the fall of man. We didn't see Jesus die and raise again. We didn't see him ascend to heaven. And yet by faith, we believe. By faith we believe because it's something we've been taught. But it's also something that many of us have experienced. And that's a change of heart. A change of life. Because Jesus entered in. It says in verse 4, By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained a witness that he was, a right, that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts. And by it, he being dead yet speaketh. His obedience to God testified of his faith. And even though he is dead, it still speaks to us. From God's word, by his spirit, through Jesus Christ. By faith, Enoch was translated. He was changed. He was taken up out of this earth that he should not see death, and was not found because God had translated him for before his translation. He had this testimony. This testimony was that he pleased God. What is my testimony? Far short, I dare say. Verse 6 says, But without faith it is impossible. It is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. By faith. All of these things are by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. It's believing. It's not just seeing. But it's believing. By faith, Noah, I look at Noah, and I look at all the years that that man worked, and I think about all the ridicule that that man experienced, and I think about all the preaching that that man did in those 100 or 120 years. I don't remember exactly what it was. It had never rained. It had never flooded. And by faith, being warned of God of things not seen as yet moved with fear. He didn't have to actually feel it hit him. It says he moved with fear, believing by faith. He prepared an ark to the saving of his house. And by the which he condemned the world. And then he became the heir of righteousness. By faith. It says by faith. We read about Abraham a little earlier. By faith, Abraham, when he was called out to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed and went out not knowing. That to me, that to me is foreign. He went out not knowing, and yet he believed God. And he received an inheritance because he obeyed. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, 
as in a strange country. And I want you to think about that. Abram was called out of his native land. Just like each one of us are called out of this native land of humanity. And I'm not saying physically moved. I'm talking about being spiritually moved. Abram was called out physically and he moved. But each one of us are called out spiritually. And we need to move. And by faith he sojourned in this physical land. And by faith each one of us are dwelling in this body of clay. And yet I hope that we, including myself, are looking for the land of promise. It says, by faith he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. We can't see heaven. And yet we know that it's not a hologram. It is as real as this ball. It is as real as you are sitting here. It is as real as the bench that you are sitting on and the pulpit that I stand behind and the voice that you hear. It is as real as that. All of these men and women that we read about in Scripture were human beings made of the same flesh, having that same red blood that flows through your veins, just like us. Yes, it was a different era. No, they didn't have a cell phone or a computer, I don't think. And yet, they had the same human nature, the same temptations, the same struggles, the same everything. But it says these men and women moved by faith. They believed God. They had faith in God. They trusted God. Trust means to have a firm belief in reality. These people were standing on the edge of the pool ready to jump. And when God told them to jump, they jumped. They fully trusted Him to do what He said He was going to do. They fully believed that what God said He would do. And when we can fully trust God, we're ready to take the plunge. And sometimes that plunge is scary. Because I remember the first time I ever jumped off of a diving board as a little tyke. I remember, and I told you all the story about me blowing bubbles in North River and almost drowning. And after that event, my mom made sure that we learned how to swim. She took us and we got swimming lessons. And she made sure that we learned how to swim. But the first time that I jumped off, I was terrified. And I think many times each one of us, when God asks us to jump, we're saying, God, you have your arms behind your back. Or something of the sort. We, we're not sure if we can trust Him. 
And yet he created us. He sustains us. I think when we can fully trust God, we're ready to go through whatever God has in store for us. We know that he is perfecting us through the trials of life. Through the chastening of a loving, holy God who wants to make each one of us into a perfect vessel. Skipping over to verse 12 of Hebrews, I'm chapter 12 of Hebrews. It says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking not at the hologram, but looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher finisher of our faith, who for the joy, this, this is puzzling to me, and yet as I look at God's plan of salvation, it's amazing to me. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he knew what was coming. He knew that he would suffer. He knew that he would die on that cross. He knew that he would be laid in the grave. For the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame, and is now set down at the right hand of the throne of God. And then it says we need to consider this. It says, For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not resisted unto blood, striving against sin. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as children. This exhortation is, Don't be sad. Don't despise. Don't despise the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof are all partakers, then you are bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much, shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits, the Father of our spirit, the Father who gives us eternal life as we are created, eternal beings. For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure. But he, God, for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. I think that probably some of you can remember some of the paddlings that you received as a younger person. And usually when you're really small, you probably don't remember some of those things because God has given us a good forgetter. 
because we have learned through that discipline. And when we're disciplined, we always or most times see it as that it's necessary to help us understand the correction is for our good. It's not pleasant. There's no pleasure in that discipline. But usually through that discipline we learn something. We learn to obey. And I look back on some of the things I did as a youngster. And even some of the things that I did as a teenager, knowing right from wrong. And I can remember the guilt of disobedience. And even after I became a Christian and did something that was sin, and we need to call it what it is, the guilt of that disobedience weighs heavy. And the dread of the punishment weighs heavy. But when that forgiveness is granted, when that punishment is done, there's a restored rest and peace. The guilt is gone. That is, it's gone unless we replace it with a resentment or feeling that we were unjustly punished or we replace it with bitterness. But God, again, has given each one of us free choice, free will. And we know that God wants what's best for each one of us as we read His Word, as we feel that chastisement at times in our lives, and as we allow the peaceable fruit of righteousness, we find justification, we find peace. The word peace means freedom from disturbance. It means quiet. It means tranquility. It means a mental calm or serenity. Romans 5 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. The hope, the hope that we look forward to. And not only so, but we glory or rejoice in the tribulations also knowing that our tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience and experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given to us. Peace. It comes. As we avail ourselves to God. For when we were yet without strength, In due time, Christ died for me, the ungodly. But here, I want you all to listen. And this is sobering to me. Because of my tendencies as a human being, it says, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. For scarcely for a righteous man will one one die. Yet, peradventure, for a good man, 
Some would even dare to die. But God, but God, commendeth his love toward us in that while we were enemies, we were sinners, we were apart from God, Christ died for me, for you, for everyone. That we could be redeemed. That we could be justified. It says, much more than now being justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through Him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. I'm thankful for that salvation today. I'm thankful that even when I was yet apart from God, Jesus Christ came, that I might have life everlasting. And now, through His blood, through repentance, through confession, we are saved. Believe means to accept something as true. Faith means complete confidence or trust in someone or something. Trust is a firm belief in reality. And peace is a freedom from disturbance, quiet, tranquility, mental calm. And so if you put all those things together in a package, we need to accept the Word of God. It's not a hologram. It is a real fact. It is the reality of believing. We need to accept the Word of God as truth. We need to have complete confidence or trust in what He says and believe in the reality of the truth of the Word of God and see that Jesus will bring that quiet and tranquility to our hearts that will help us enter into that promised land as we are faithful. Maybe may we each be in endowed, I don't know if that's the correct term, enabled to find that tranquility. Lord bless you.